Good morning, folks. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you, above all, for the gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sakes and for the fact that you've supplied us with your word in the Bible, the inspired word of God. Thank you for that. Um, and as we come to it today, Lord, help us to understand what you would want us to know and how it should shape our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever since uh, the beginning of time, human beings have been organizing themselves into groups for the purposes of surviving and thriving. And this means that each member of the group is assigned a different responsibility depending on their gifts and their abilities. For example, a person skilled in hunting is uh, given the responsibility of supplying meat for the rest of the group. Maybe someone else who's wise and experienced is uh, appointed to help resolve disputes. And it seems that this capacity or inclination for organizing ourselves into groups is, is part of what it means to be human. We've been doing it ever since day one. And I believe that it is also part of the image of God in us. God has imprinted this inclination onto us as human beings. And so we organize ourselves in families, family units. We, we organize ourselves at a society level, at a national level, even at an international level. When you look at things, uh, organizations like the European Union, for example. Now, for a so social organization or group to work, there must be what we call representative authority. In other words, this means that the group um, as a whole delegates authority to a particular person with a given responsibility so that that person can carry out that responsibility on behalf of the group. And then each member of the group submits to the authority of the person appointed, content that he or she will do his or her job serving the best interests of the group as a whole. And this submission to representative authority is essential to the success of an organization or a group. Without it, there's chaos. For example, um, if a shareholder in a football club pitches up on a Thursday afternoon with a, with a whistle dangling around his neck um, in order to coach the team, then there's going to be chaos because that's not the responsibility that he's been assigned. However, this idea of representative authority will lead to problems when a person serves himself rather than the group. And I'm sure this sounds familiar to you because here in Zimbabwe, representative authority has been abused to an extraordinary degree. And it's the same in South Africa as well. We live in a context where those who are given representative authority abuse it. They use it to serve themselves rather than the group. And as a result of this, we as Zimbabweans are very wary of submitting to any kind of human authority or of committing to membership in a group or an organization. We, we tend to hold back a little bit. Why would we want to put ourselves at the mercy of an organization which might let us down? It's much better, we tell ourselves, to make our own plans. Why would we want to depend on others when we can depend on ourselves? It's much safer 
to be an island, or so we tell ourselves. And after all, we think about it, what have the traditional structures of society and government done for us here in Zimbabwe? I mean, when we think of the government, when we think of the police, when we think of the army, um, city councils, NASA, what's happened in all of these organizations is that we as the people have delegated responsibility to people to serve us but they haven't done that. They've used that responsibility, they've used that authority to serve themselves and they've done it using the money that we have given them to serve us. So this fear of commitment, this reluctance to submit, this lack of trust and this overwhelming desire for independence is understandable. It's actually, it's a way of protecting ourselves and I, I see it in myself. But, and this is key, it's hugely damaging when we apply it to our local church context. I'd just like to emphasize the, the fact that we, we draw back and are threatened by, by um, authority. Um, I'm going to do it by just reading from Hebrews 13, 17 and, and just step back and analyze your internal reaction to this verse. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them and I know that internally I withdraw a little bit from that now I don't want you to get me wrong in the church context harvesters have been amazing at overcoming this natural aversion to dependence and participation and submiss submission I'm not talking about this because there is a particular problem however I do believe that it is an inclination and a weakness that we have as Zimbabweans and we need to be aware of it and to combat it by reflecting on Scripture. And that's what this particular sermon is all about. God has designed His church with structure and He tells us in His Word how it's meant to be organized and He qualifies who gets to have representative um, authority. So these people who get representative authority we can refer to them as church officers and if you look on your screen you'll see a definition now of what a church officer is. It's someone who has been publicly recognized as having the right and the responsibility to perform certain functions for the benefit of the church as a whole. That definition comes from a, a theologian called Wayne Grudem, and he bases it on, on his study of scripture. Now, the starting point for church structure is the office of an elder. And so we're going to explore the office of an elder today using the following headings. First of all, team, names, functions and qualifications. Team, name, functions and qualifications. Number one, team. The Greek name for elder is presbyteros and in every church there was a team of elders. Acts 14 21 to 23, uh, Paul and Barnabas have just completed their first missionary journey and they're now coming back retracing their path going through all of the different churches that they have established on their first missionary trip. And what they're doing, verse 22, is they're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, 
and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How do they equip these churches to go through these tribulations? And remember that the tribulations we're experiencing today, we can expect them to increase in amplitude and frequency as the day of Christ um, approaches. How do they strengthen them? They appointed elders, presbyteros, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, and they committed to them, them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So part of the way that they equipped the church to deal with the trials and tribulations was by setting up church structures, strong, robust church structures. In Titus 1.5, this is why I, Paul speaking, um, left you in Crete so that you, Titus, he's addressing Titus, might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's two significant conclusions here. First one, there is no suggestion of only one elder. In both of those passages, it's presbyteros, plural, elders, plural, a team of elders. Second conclusion, every church had elders. Can you see the phrases there in Acts 14.23, in every church? And then in Titus 1.5, and in every town. So every church in every location had a team of elders appointed to govern the church. So that's the team. Let's move on to names now. And this can get a little bit confusing because the New Testament uses lots of different names for elders. Um, so let me just show you that although the New Testament uses different names, in each case, they have the same office in mind. So, what are some of the other names, other words for elders? There's the Greek, pron uh, Greek noun poimen, which is translated as pastor, or in some Bible translations, shepherd. And then there's the Greek noun episkopos, translated as overseer or bishop. So we've had presbyteros, poimen, and episkopos. Let's take each of these in turn. First of all, poimen, which is translated as pastor. That noun is used only once in the New Testament to refer to a church elder. And that's in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Elsewhere, it's used to refer to a shepherd, literally a person who looks after sheep, a flock of sheep. So let's look at Ephesians 4.11. It says there, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or in some translations, pastors, and that's where the word poimen comes in, and teachers. But that doesn't necessarily prove that the word pastor and elder refer to the same church office. But this happens in Acts 20, verse 17, where Paul uses shepherd-related words to instruct elders, presbyteros. So let's look at Acts 20, starting in verse 17. Now, from Miletius, he, Paul, went to Ephesus and called the elders, presbyteros, of the church to come to him. And then he addresses these elders whom he's referred to as presbyteros in the following way. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which is in Greek poimion. It's a derivative of poimon, pastor or shepherd. 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, poimano, in other words, to take care as a shepherd would take care of his flock, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So what you can see here is that Paul is addressing elders who are referred to as presbyteros and what he's telling them to do is the kind of thing that a shepherd would do. So, based on Acts 20 verse 28, this is the conclusion and if you haven't followed this or you got a little bit confused, you can always go back and, and play it again. But this is the conclusion that's important. Elders are pastors in the sense that they're responsible for taking care of the church as a shepherd would take care of his flock. And there's more evidence for this in another passage in 1 Peter 5 verse 14. So Paul uses presbyteros and poimen interchangeably. Let's just have a look at how this applies to us at Harvest. Harvest is led by a team of elders which is responsible for taking care of the church as a shepherd would take care of his flock. However, three of the elders are marketplace elders. In other words, they make a living in the marketplace. And then there are two elders that are pastors because they make a living by working full-time for harvest. So is there a biblical basis for this? For a full-time pastor elder, if, as we've said, all the elders are pastors? And yes, there is. There is a biblical basis for pastor elders. Let's return to Ephesians 4.11. It says there, um, as we've read earlier, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, the Greek construction of that can be translated as shepherd teachers or pastor teachers, referring to one group rather than, than two. So it's not saying that there are um, shepherds and teachers. It's saying that there are shepherd teachers or pastor teachers. And in many of your Bibles, if you look at the footnote, you'll see that that is recorded there. Then it says in, in Timothy 5 verses 17 to 18, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what is this double honor that he's referring to? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So when we look at verse 18, the next verse, Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. In other words, if these people, their full-time responsibility is to govern the church and to preach and teach, then as they tread out the grain, they need to be fed. <laughs> so you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. So comment commentators assume that these preacher teachers referred to in Ephesians 4 verse 7 and the elders that are worthy of double honor are actually the same person. So here's the conclusion of this. All the elders, presbyteros, are pastors, poimen, in the sense that each is responsible for taking care of the church as a shepherd would take care of his flock. So that's true of all five of us in the eldership team 
at harvest. Some of the elders are pastor teachers. They govern as well as preaching and teaching and they earn a livelihood from the church for the work that they do. So that would apply to Craig and myself. And to accommodate these distinctions in harvest, we, talk, we refer to marketplace elders and pastors, but we're all elders. Now, let's have a look at that second word, episkopos. The Bible translates that Greek noun episkopos as overseer or bishop. And in some church traditions, they have a separate church office for this. So you, you do, you literally have bishops and you have elders and so on and so forth. But that's a little bit untrue to the Bible because actually an, the Bible sees an elder as being the same as uh, an overseer or bishop. Even though they've got different names, those names are used interchangeably. Let me show you this. If you have a look at Acts 20, in verse 17, we've already seen it. Now from Miletius he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders, presbyteros, of the church to come to him. Then later in the chapter, Paul addresses the Ephesian elders as follows. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you episkopos, overseers or bishops. So in Paul's mind, an elder is also a bishop. It's the same thing. Similarly in Titus 1, Paul explains to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, presbyteros, he uses that word. And then later on, when he's giving the quali qualifications for presbyteros or elders, he refers to them as overseers. So he's using those two words interchangeably. Elder, overseer, bishop, they're all different names for the same church office. Let's move on now to the functions. What is the function of an elder? What is my function? What is Craig's function? What is Tony Roberts's function? Have a look at 1 Timothy 5.17. It'll be there on your screen. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honors. In other words, elders, the role of an elder is to rule or to govern. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 4, he says, The overseer must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how on earth will he care for God's church? So there's this idea that an elder is there to manage the affairs of the church, to govern and to rule the affairs of the church in much the same way as a person would govern and rule and manage the affairs of a household and needs to do it well. That's the first function. The second function is to protect. The whole point of the shepherd imagery is that a shepherd protects the sheep. He takes care of and he provides for the flock. Acts 20 verse, 20, uh, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. And the reason why we care for the church is because it belongs to God. And it's so precious to God because He purchased it with the blood of His Son to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. 
Then in Hebrews 13, 17, we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So to govern, to protect, and then to teach. We've already seen in Ephesians 4.11 that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.17 it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So remember that we've taken those two verses to mean that there are elders called pastors who make a living from both teaching and governing the church. And in our situation at Harvest, that's Craig and myself. But the other elders also need to be able to teach. Not that they all fall into that shepherd um, teaching category, but they are able to handle the Word of God well and in an accurate manner and are able to correct others in the congregation if they're starting to go off track. We see evidence for that in 1 Timothy 3.2. He says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. In Titus 1 verse 9, An overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught by the apostles, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then, of course, the last function of an elder is to set an example. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, verse three, uh, verses 1 to 3, that elders must be an example to the flock. So let's just sum up the, the functions of an elder. It is to govern, it is to protect, it is to teach, and it is to set an example. And let's face it, folks, this is a pretty tall order. So the Bible is very clear and strict about the qualifications for an elder. Let's just have a, a brief look at those. And I'm going to leave you um, to do your own study on this um, because the Bible is very clear on it. There's two passages where you see it. I'm just going to have read through the one. Um, 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. In other words, not by thrashing them and beating them. And if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And many of these qualifications are repeated in Titus as well. Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. I'm not going to go over them now. But my point is that the Bible is abundantly clear and incredibly, incredibly strict when it comes to the qualification of elders. 
God expects a very high standard from elders. And there's a reason for that. First reason. If you're given representative authority, it, we need to know that the person who's given that authority is not going to abuse it. That they're going to carry out their responsibilities on behalf of the local church. So that's one of the reasons why the Bible is so strict. It's to protect us from the kind of abuse that we see going on in Zimbabwe. And secondly, the reason why it's so strict is so that members of the church can trust their leaders and obey Hebrews 13 verse 17, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So those are the qualifications of an elder. What I'd like to do now, just in closing, is to bring all of this teaching and evidence together uh, for us um, and just tell you how it works here at Harvest. The representative authority at Harvest, in accordance with the Bible, is a team of elders. And here it is. There are three elders who earn a living in the marketplace. That's Mark Robb, Tony Roberts, and Trevor Loudon Stool. And then there are two elders who earn a living from Harvest. That's Craig Roberts and myself. And as a team, we are responsible to govern, protect, teach, and set an example. We do this primarily on God's behalf because this is God's church and we are representing his authority. But we also do it in accountability to you. We do it to represent you as well. Now, we've already noted that there can be problems with representative authority. And we've all had our fingers burnt by these particular problems in Zimbabwe. But it can be different for us in the church because you as a member of Harvest can actually compare the elders with the qualifications listed in the Bible. And let's face it, all of these elders have a track, track record. You've known them for a long period of time. And so you'll be able to see whether they're staying on track. And if they aren't, you can always come and talk. That's the whole reason why it's a team of elders. So if you have a problem with one particular elder, you can come and chat to the team. And there is also a process in the Bible for doing that. We don't have time to look at that now. Just lastly, some concluding implications for you as a member of Harvest. Two weeks ago, Trevor talked about the importance of belonging to a local church. How do we actually show that we belong to a local church? And there's lots of different ways, but I'd just like to have a look at some that relate to what we've looked at today. The first way that you show that you belong to Harvest Church is by trusting and submitting to the eldership team. Are you able to, to trust and submit to the eldership team at Harvest? Secondly, by doing your best to keep up with all the sermons from the pastor teachers. Keeping up with them on a weekly basis. And then thirdly, by attending a weekly gathering of people that belong to Harvest, during which, amongst other things, you listen to a sermon. So that's, that's how we know that we belong to this local church. 
It's because, yeah, we trust these leaders and we're prepared to submit to them. We recognize that God is providing for us through the pastor teachers at Harvest, so we listen to the teachings that they bring every week. And we attend a weekly gathering of harvesters. Now, recent, up until recently, we were able to do that in our multi-site locations. At the moment, that's not possible. But that does mean that you can get together with a couple of other Christian folk from Harvest to listen to the teaching and, and to be a part of the local church in that way. It also means that if you belong to a group where the people in that group don't submit to the eldership at Harvest and you're not listening to the, the weekly teaching, then don't see that group as a substitute for your local church gathering. It's okay, of course, to attend a group like that, but you need, don't see it as a substitute. You need to make up for it by being a part of a local weekly regular harvest church meeting. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have made provision for us in these very difficult times that we find ourselves in by teaching us how to have a strong, robust church, local church that will provide for us, that will take care of us, that will empower us and enable us to fulfill your mission and to represent Christ as we should. And so, Father, I just want to commit to each person that's listened to this word. I pray that you would be working in their hearts, that you would be making things clear. Father, I ask that you would make up even sometimes for, for our lack um, in, in ability of teaching, if there's been any confusion. Um, Father, lead us into your truth so that we can be properly plugged into Harvest as our local church. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to spending time with you again in the near future. Goodbye for now.